0: The
1: the Powercast back to 2012. We featured an interview with David Politis talking about strange disappearances along with the late J.C. Johnson. A fascinating episode, and I have no idea why this is a subject we have not explored again. I mean, in recent weeks, we've talked about the UFO phenomenon, UAP, whatever, about the increased interest in the government in UFOs. We've talked about Bigfoot, like last week with Stan Gordon. And now we're going to explore a couple of books. But one is the National Park Mysteries and Disappearances. And then he's got like a book, two of that. So volume two. And our guest is Steve Stockton, who has been following this for a while. And from his bio, Steve is an outdoorsman, which is the opposite of me. I tend to be a hermit. Our co-host, by the way, this week, of course, is my old friend Bob Zanotti. Bob, welcome back.
0: Thank you very much. Um, I'm talking to you from my home in the Emmental, the rural area east of the Swiss capital city, Bern. But you and I go back to New York in the 1960s. That's
1: right. We're still trying to go back there, but we'll get there in about 10 more years.
0: I'm happy where I am right now. I, know I feel right. safe. <laughs>
1: It's hard to be safer these days. I was just looking here. The cover design of your book, Steve Stockton, is from disgruntled dystopian publications. Now, that's a name for a designer.
2: <laughs> yeah, the, the guy who does the cover art here is just fantastic. I, I love what he came up with. I had just a rough idea, and that's what he, that was the first thing he came back with. And I'm like, that's it
0: yeah begs the question are are you personally disgruntled and dismayed and annoyed and angry
2: <laughs> I, I used to be now I'm just amused. I think more than anything it's just, <laughs> I'm kind of like gene there i'm a, I'm a hermit, even though I'm an outdoorsman. I like to get out by myself. The rest of the time I just stay home. I've been practicing for this for years. The last two years have been actually the best two years I've ever had as far as creativity and things. I've had an excuse to stay home and just work on my books and work on my YouTube channel, and it's awesome. Steve, there's absolutely no conflict when you
0: say you're a hermit even though you're an outdoorsman. As a matter of fact, you and I are members of the same club. I find going out into nature to be a great way to find yourself. I I consider myself a bit of a hermit, too, and I feel at home in the woods, at least during the daylight hours, maybe we'll get into that later on. (laughs) To me, that's, that's the church that God made.
2: Indeed, indeed. It's just, and go out and and worship in nature, and like you said, find yourself. That's been my experience whether here or abroad. I've traveled through Europe and through Southeast Asia, and I just, I love travel. I love being outdoors, but it pays to be cautious with uh, some of the things that have come to light in recent years that happened in the woods.
0: I guarantee you that will come up. <laughs> but first of all, let's let's follow that up a little bit, Steve. Uh let's find out a little bit about Steve Stockton. You're living up there in uh, Oregon and uh, you've traveled uh, to many countries. Where
2: where have you been? Oh, let's see. I backpacked through Europe in the 80s, traveled all over the UK, Germany, France. Uh, Ended up in Spain and then realized uh, the town I was in, uh, Morocco, was just across the Strait of Gibraltar. So I took a ferry over and spent a few weeks in Morocco. That was uh, my first real taste of travel, international travel. And then in the early 2000s, I went to Southeast Asia for a year. And uh, all those countries over there, basically everywhere except North Korea and mainland China. I wow, have to around back to the, the mainland someday. You have been around. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to get out there and travel. It, it does broaden your horizons, and it gives you an education that you just can't get in any other way, I think.
0: I think of the, uh, the great uh, German poet, philosopher, and traveler, Goethe. And he said, the whole horizon of my life is based on my travel and my ability to communicate. I'm a firm believer myself, Steve. I'm sort of leading you on a little bit, I suppose, leading the witness. But I am convinced if more people traveled, experienced other places, other cultures, other peoples, we'd have a much more peaceful world than we do today.
2: Absolutely. And even as much as I like being by myself and I like being a hermit and stuff, when I do travel to other countries, I do more of an ecotourism thing. I like to stay with a local family at least for a few weeks to get a good idea of the culture and the way things really are. I mean, one Hilton or Four Seasons or Holiday Inn or whatever, they look just the same anywhere you go. But if you stay with the people, you learn more about them. And likewise, they learn more about you. I like to think of myself as a self-appointed ambassador because a lot of uh, you remember the – uh Ugly American that they talked about back in the '60s and '70s, where the American tourists were just horrible in some cases. So I'm trying to make up for a little of that. I'm originally from East Tennessee, and anywhere I've ever traveled, once they found out I was from Tennessee, they know Elvis and they know Jack Daniels. So they know so. Jack
0: Daniels. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, the, uh, Jack
0: Daniels is also an American ambassador abroad. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's known and appreciated in other places outside. Well, it sounds like uh, right from the beginning, Steve, you and I are good buddies. Uh, You and I are on the same page.
2: All right. Sounds great.
1: Now, speaking of pages, let's get to the paranormal page here. What got you interested in strange disappearances, strange mysteries?
2: The strange disappearances that started with the Dennis Martin case in 1969. It's on Father's Day. Um, I was almost the same age as Dennis. I was a few months younger than him. I was five going on six, and he was six going on seven. And that was the first time that I ever got into my head that, you know, a child, much like myself, could disappear and never be found again. Uh, I remember when he disappeared, it was all over the news, in the newspapers and things, and I followed that case Religiously, I mean, for years I got up and would check the papers for anything on Dennis Martin, particularly at the beginning of it, at the inception there, somewhere at, uh, I think my brother has them now, his wife. Uh, I had a couple scrapbooks that I filled with uh, newspaper clippings about that disappearance, and it just it fascinated me and it scared me at the same time. And, you know, just one of those there, but for the grace of God, go I. You know, anybody could get lost in the woods. He was out with his father, his grandfather, his brother, and literally just went behind some bushes and was never seen again. So that that just stuck with me for some reason. Then there were other disappearances in the Smokies. When I was uh, in high school, there was a teenage girl named Trini Gibson that disappeared from the Smokies again we were close to the same age i think i was uh probably a freshman or a sophomore she was a junior went to rival high schools cross-town rivals uh she disappeared while on a field trip in the smokies uh a lot of odd synchronicities there she was in lived in the same neighborhood the Bearden area that dennis martin was from and uh no trace of her nothing ever found another strange case like that then later on 1980 81 i think um, Thelma Pauline Martin, uh, I'm sorry, Melton, older lady, disappeared in the mountains. In that time, uh, the hiking and skiing club that I was a part of actually went and helped in the search for her. So there's there's something about the Smokies in particular. People tend to go missing there. Now it is the most visited national park in the country. Uh, last year, 2020, with everything going on, it still logged 12 million visitors. Uh, the nearest to that is Yosemite which I think it got like 6 or $7 million, so a little over half that. Our guest
1: this week is Steve Stockton. Amongst his books for Beyond the Fray, National Park Mysteries and Disappearances, there are two volumes out so far, and we're exploring the things like you know, Strange Disappearance when he was very young that got him involved in the quest for learning more about these mysteries and what caused them. Bob Zanotti is our guest co-host. With Gene and Bob, you're in The Paracast. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus Once again, Paracast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out Paracast.plus to learn more
3: about Paracast Plus.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Our guest this week on the Paracast is Steve Stockton. We're talking about how he got interested and strange disappearances. Now, before we go into more case histories and more about the one you cited, I think the general perception is when someone disappears, it's foul play. If it doesn't involve a wild animal, it involves a human wild animal, if you get my drift. What do you think?
2: Uh, in some cases, that's that's definitely true. I feel that there are some human predators out there, particularly along the Appalachian Trail. What better place to take people? I mean, for, in some regard, it would be easy pickings if you knew the trail. You've got several thousand miles there that you can travel north and south. A lot of little towns along the trail, so you know you could you could indefinitely hide out out there. But there seems to be a supernatural element to some too, and I think that's what I stress in the books is there's not one particular explanation, but there may be several, uh, some natural and some supernatural.
0: Uh, Steve, on a point of order here, when we talk about disappearing people, and you mentioned you were among uh, a party of uh, of searchers, have any of these people been found, or have they just
2: been completely missing, com- just totally disappeared? The three that I mentioned there, Dennis Martin, Trini Gibson, and... Uh, selma pauline melton no they've never been found no trace of them
0: what's your take on it
2: wow there's some some speculations and some theories out there there are stories that persist in the smokies of uh, wild uh, almost feral people that live in the mountains some people say that it's like a, almost a human bigfoot hybrid and who knows on that the, the cherokee have legends of hairy giants that they battled in those forests uh, before the white settlers even thought of coming to america There's stories that something like that is what took Dennis Martin, either a Bigfoot-type creature or some type of feral human. Sadly enough, these feral people also uh, reportedly are cannibals, have a taste for human flesh. So that's one of the more frightening but wilder theories is that uh, he was captured and eaten.
0: Personally, I don't consider it wild. I don't think anything is wild. You know, we don't know where we are, who we are, why we are, what we are, where we are, and all of that. We have no right to be skeptical. I mean, we've got to be open-minded. And, of course, listeners to the Paracast are interested probably more in the paranormal uh, aspect of this. But we're not going to avoid the mundane you you also touch on this, too. I mean, there are nuts out there. There are weirdos and wackos who um, might be killing people for fun. I mean, that's what it boils down to. That is a possibility.
2: Yeah, and particularly in the Trini Gibson case, I think she was taken by a, a person with a ill intent, something nefarious with that one. It, it wasn't as strange and as supernatural as Dennis's disappearance. She'd had some altercations with some people at school. In fact, her... Mother had shot a guy in the leg that was trying to break into their house one night to get to Trini. I spoke with another researcher who knows more about this case than any person on the planet, I think. And she knows, according to her, who did it and why, but she can't talk about it. She's had uh, death threats and all sorts of things, but she's looked into that one particular case for 25 years. According to what she came up with, Trini never left the mountain alive, but it was a human predator that got her yeah. and then selma the third one i just because there nobody really knows she just disappeared there was no sign of any foul play nor was there any sign of any animal predation or a big cat attack a lot of people will point to that but uh anytime a big cat attacks there's going to be signs of a struggle there's going to be blood there's going to be torn clothing there's most likely going to be a scream unless they tear your throat out immediately Big cat attacks and bear attacks—that's the the one that people point to most, but that's really the least likely, I think.
0: When we're talking about disappearing people, we are we're, we're literally that we're literally talking about people who have totally disappeared, nothing left to them.
2: Right, right. Now, in some cases, there'll be maybe the boots left behind, and I find that odd. Now, there's a thing called paradoxical undressing where. In the, the end, throws of hypothermia there, people will, they're losing heat so fast they feel hot and they'll take their clothes off and that just speeds the process along. But to take your boots off in the, the woods and sometimes in the snow makes absolutely no sense. Now, I've heard an interesting theory on that. If you were hunting humans and you wanted to give them at least a sporting chance, take their boots, and let them run and see how far they could get. That's kind of chilling to think about.
0: Literally and figuratively, yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, before we continue, and you're you you you're, you're opening up all kinds of doors, so many doors, I'm not even sure we're going to be able to go through all of them. But I, I, I read something about your biography that uh, caught my attention. You said that um, it was a gypsy witch grandmother who got you into this field. You have to explain that.
2: Okay, absolutely. My grandmother, she was self-proclaimed gypsy witch. I don't know where the, the gypsy part came in uh, because she was born and raised in Appalachian, the Cates Cove area of the Smokies before it was the Smokies, before it was a National Park. Anyway, she was from that area, and the family had come from England to there. But uh, apparently somewhere way back in the lineage there, they came from uh, Romania or Hungary or somewhere like that. That's where she got the gypsy part. She called herself a gypsy witch. In Appalachia, she just was known as a granny witch or um, that type of thing. But a gypsy witch was what she preferred. And she told fortunes. She read uh, tea leaves, coffee grounds, and uh, playing cards. She didn't use tarot. She didn't like tarot cards. She had just a regular type of playing card that had drawings added to it that she read from. Uh, the most superstitious person I've ever met by far, and uh, she would always regale me with tales of you know, what to do, what not to do, what to stay away from, things that were out there, uh, anything paranormal. And she did. She knew things that she had no way of knowing. She would say things to me that would just scare me to death. I was actually afraid of her until I was a teenager because so, she looked like a witch.
0: Hey, uh, this is really interesting. We're getting into something... Very interesting here, and that's about the Smoky Mountains region in general. Your grandmother calling herself a gypsy witch, uh, the, the superstitions there and everything else. Is that native to the Smoky Mountains? Is there something spooky about the Smoky Mountains per se? Oh,
2: There is indeed, and, and pretty much anywhere along the southern Appalachians and, and some of the northern parts too. The Appalachian Trail runs all the way from Georgia to Maine. But the the Appalachians there in particular, the Smokies, which sits on the border almost equally divided between eastern Tennessee and North Carolina, western North Carolina. There's all kinds of uh, strange folklore, strange stories in there. That was also the the Cherokee lived in there. And they have a lot of strange legends, uh, including things that take people. You have uh, entities such as Spearfinger. Um, They have... um, Creatures like Bigfoot, they have uh, little people like the Fey or the fairies, and we can get into that later on. That's a whole other rabbit hole to go down. Is how uh, the Fey from say Celtic times fits into all this. Now a lot of the settlers in that region were from uh, parts of uh, Wales, England, Ireland, and they brought with them a lot of that the the fae stories and things. We've got more with Steve Stockton
1: and Jean and Bob. You're in
0: the Paracast. <laughs> radio news
10: with Tim Berg. Over a dozen Mexican soldiers were detained for several hours at the border as they crossed into El Paso, Texas. So says U.S. Customs and Border Protection. The fourteen soldiers saying they didn't realize they had crossed illegally into the United States, and U.S. Customs and Border agents secured their weapons and equipment for safety processing. All 14 soldiers, their equipment and vehicles were returned to Mexico. Meanwhile, in Perry, Georgia on Saturday night.
2: I told you so during the election and during the campaign. Inflation is skyrocketing. Unemployment is rising at a level that nobody
10: can believe. Former President Trump is at the Georgia National Fairgrounds for a Save America rally. Other speakers at the rally include Senate candidate Herschel Walker. You're listening to USA Radio News. A photographer is
11: speaking out after people are using his photo for political gain. The photographer behind images depicting Border Patrol agents on horseback told El Paso's KTSM things are not exactly what they seem when it comes to the photos. From certain angles, it appears to show Border Patrol whipping migrants, but photographer Paul Ratchie said he and his colleagues never saw agents whipping anyone.
1: The Haitian men started running, running, trying to go around the horses. And that's kind of when the whole thing
12: happened. I didn't ever stand with anybody.
11: From the USA Radio News, West Texas Bureau, I'm Brad Bernards. Federal judges temporarily
10: blocking New York City's vaccination mandate for schools. The ruling coming after the city announced last month that teachers and school staff had to get at least the first dose of a coronavirus vaccine by the end of September. And you're listening to USA Radio News.
2: Hi, this is Joshua P. Warren, author of The Poor Man's Paranormal. And you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: So in addition to the strange disappearances, we have all the strange legends of these regions, places in the country that I have not particularly visited. But I almost wonder here... Whether it's safe to go into these areas because you might disappear. You ever think about that when you do some traveling? Hey, this might be my time.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I've been in places where I've been lost, just through my own wits and and outdoorsmanship and orienteering and things, that found my way out. But there are times when there's something supernatural going on with that. One particular example, I've been in the woods and have everything go absolutely silent. I mean, like somebody turned the huge volume button down, you don't hear the wind, you don't hear the trees, you don't hear water, you don't hear animals, birds, nothing. It's like a deafening silence. And any time I've ever encountered that, I know to to get out of that area, to go a different direction, to do something different. And then another time I was hiking in the Smokies, I'd been up on Clingman's Dome, which is the highest point in the Smokies. There's a, a lookout up there, observation tower. And I had gone off trail and was going back down the mountain. All of a sudden, I came across uh, this huge oak tree. And There's not a lot of oaks at that level. It's mostly fir, I think, up, up that high. But there are some oaks on the Smokies. But this was the biggest oak tree I'd ever seen. Uh, it would take three or four people holding hands to reach all the way around it so it was just in a little clearing and it seemed like a disney tree it was so real so surreal hyper real that it didn't look real so i'm standing there marveling at this tree it's in this little clearing and it was just beams of sunlight coming through the trees you know and it just it looked magical that's all i can say about it and as i stood there marveling at this tree I started just getting this little idea in the back of my head. You know, this would be a good place to sit down. Maybe if I just sit down and rest for a little while or maybe even take a nap. That'd be great, just to sit under this majestic oak tree and and snooze for a little while. And then all of a sudden, my voice of reason inside my head, like, what are you thinking? You know, no, no, it's almost four o'clock in the afternoon. It's going to be dark soon. You need to get your behind back down the mountain. And it just kind of startled me awake at that point because i was seriously considering laying down under that tree and taking a rest i wonder about that you know if i had done that if i had given in to that impulse wherever it came from would i be one of the people that went missing and never came back because i I think there's something out there of a supernatural paranormal element that can do things like that they can lead people astray now there's also stories in the smokies About fairy lanterns or fairy lights, spook lights in the woods that lead people astray. Now, the Cherokee have their own legends about it, and then the people of Celtic origin had their legends about it. But uh, I've talked to people. One guy, this was years and years ago, before it was the National Park. He was in there hunting and had one of the old carbide miner's lamps, which – you wear it on a hat. This was before time of batteries and things like that. piece of calcium carbide in some water in the tank. It gives off a flammable gas. Got a little reflector on the top. And you like that, much like a cigarette lighter, and you see your way through the woods. Well, he'd been out there hunting, and had used up all the carbide in his lantern and uh, saw what he thought was another hunter ahead of him. He could see a light going through the woods. He's like, okay, well, I'll follow this guy and uh, catch up to him and see where he's going. He'd gotten within a few yards of it. And watch as it went across this wonderful area. Well, when he started across the same area, he fell off of a small cliff there, about oh twelve fifteen feet. Uh, messed himself up real good. So, didn't break anything thankfully. Had to go back the next day and find his shotgun. Found it. Uh, both barrels sunk into the ground where he had fallen with such force. But he said, "I know. I saw that light. I followed it through the woods. It went across this area." I tried to follow right along behind it, and I fell off a cliff. When he went back the next day to retrieve his gun, he said there was no way anything could have walked across there, even though it gave the impression of something bipedal walking.
0: You're telling (laughs) great stories here, Steve, and I don't mean fictitious stories. I mean you're a great storyteller of the old school, and you're leading us down a super highway of incredibly interesting (laughs) things. I just want to break in here for a moment. We have a listener's question from Jordan, 1986. And it pertains to your grandmother. He asks, has your research been enhanced by any stories or accounts told by your grandmother? And would you say that you've been better armed with how to direct your
2: research with the knowledge passed down to you? Yeah, absolutely. Because all that really started in my formative years with her. I'd had some some minor experiences when I was around three or four but the big one that really got me into all this was when I was about six years old. We lived down in the country. Our driveway was uh, 212 feet long. And I know that I measured it later on for another purpose. But uh, I was about halfway out in the yard, which was cleared off. We had 28 acres out in the country with about five of it cleared off. I was out in the, about halfway into the yard, so 100 feet or so from the road. And I was waiting for a friend, the neighbor boy, and the neighbor was not a near neighbor the nearest neighbor was about two miles away i was waiting for him to come home so we could play together he was about the same age as i was and i saw a car coming down the hill there's an inverted intersection there inverted t and uh, i see the car stop at the stop sign and i saw a child come out from behind the car he didn't get out of the car but he came out from behind it and across the road in front of the car kind of catty-cornered And at first, I thought it was my friend, and his mom had let him out out there so he didn't have to walk back. But it turned out it wasn't him. It wasn't their car, and it was a man driving. Well, I watched this kid. My first thought is, the kid's going to get hit because the person in the car is not paying attention. They didn't see him. They didn't register, look his direction or anything. But the kid runs catty corner across the road, down into our lawn, our yard, got maybe 12, 15 feet. And then if you've ever seen little kids that they've just barely mastered the art of walking. They'll start running and don't really know how to stop, and they'll just fall. And that's what this child did. Toddler, maybe two years old, he was running. He ran across into the yard and then just fell. And when he fell, he was simply gone. He just disappeared. I mean, he didn't twinkle out or anything like that. There was no just he was there, and then he wasn't. There was nothing, you know, no foggy effects or anything like that. I didn't take my eyes off the spot, I went straight to it. There was no child there, nothing I could have mistaken for a child, no hole that a child could have fallen in. I even got a little shovel and went back and tried to dig there, but I I knew better. I knew that yard well because that was my domain. I prowled all over the the cleared part. It didn't scare me as much as it piqued my interest. It's like even at at six years old, I thought, you know, what was that? You know, little kids don't run across the road and, and fall down and disappear. And that was really what started me on my quest to looking into the paranormal and looking into things like ghosts and portals and time slips and a lot of things that I've, I've come to find out that had no idea about then. I told my grandmother about that a few years later. And she just, her answer was cryptic. She said, well, there are things that are meant for some people to see, and you may see them as well. And then sometimes there will be things that that are just for you to see. So that's like a non-answer. Kind of what she was telling me was that uh, I have a gift, that I see things that other people may or may not see. Now, again, this is all according to superstition. I was born with a veil over my face or a call. All that is, it's the the afterbirth, the amniotic sac was still over my face when I came out of the birth canal. Well, in Appalachian, in superstitious lore, that makes you a blessed child. Now, my grandmother had ten children, uh, nine boys and my mom being the only girl. That also meant I couldn't get away with anything. Having that many brothers, she knew every trick in the book. Hmm. But uh, my grandmother was present at my birth, and she said, yeah, you had a call over your face. And she said, I knew you were special. You had these abilities, second sight, and all this other stuff. Out of all the grandkids she had, which each each one of those brothers was married at least once, some of them multiple times. So she had a slew of grandkids. But I was the only one that was born with the veil, with the, the afterbirth over my face. And in her eyes that made me the most special grandchild so she would always anytime we went to visit we only lived a few miles away she could not wait to get me alone and she would school me on all these paranormal things ghosts and witches and uh, hates and boogers as she called them things that were out there things to stay away from we've got to stay
1: away from these announcements gene steve (laughs) and bob you're in the
0: paracast (laughs)
2: Clark, of the, of the Encyclopedia and other books. you're listening
1: to the Pericast. No, we should not stay away from those announcements. An incredible history, incredible backstory. Steve Stockton. Would you continue, please?
2: Yeah, and just she would she lived in this whole Victorian farmhouse. And at what had been the dining room at one time, she turned it into a sewing room. Her and my aunt, one of her sisters, would uh, cut pieces for quilts all year round. And then in the wintertime, when they couldn't do anything else, they would sit in this old dining room and quilt. So it was known as her sewing room. Uh, anytime we went to visit, she would get me alone in the sewing room and then tell me all these things legends, stories, how to avoid. Bad luck. How to bring good luck to you? All kinds of things like that. And like I said, she would scare me to death because I thought she looked like <laughs> a bitch. And then she's got me alone in this dark room, and she would would tell me things and make me tell them back to her. You know, like some of the. To this day, I absolutely will have a conniption fit if somebody puts a hat on a bed in her eyes you put a hat on the bed you might as well just shoot somebody so (laughs) strange strange things like that if i could repeat things back to her satisfaction she would reward me usually something like a hershey bar or sometimes even a crisp dollar bill you know you're six seven eight years old dollar bill back then you could buy a lot with it you could get five or six comic books so i've tolerated it but sometimes she knew things that she had no way of knowing about me. And that scared me even more. Once on a trip to visit her, there was a, a place that we had to go through where years and years before, like 20 years before, some kids had been playing ball out in the front yard and the ball got loose and went into the street, down a little slope into the road on a curve. Well, one of the kids ran down the hill after it, out into the road and got hit and killed by a car. And um, anytime we'd go to her house, I could tell, you know, when that spot was coming up, and I'd usually sit up and watch for it because I just I would get like a chill or something. I could tell there was something about that spot. Well that night I hadn't been watching for it. I was laying down in the back seat. This was, you know, days when you didn't have to sit up straight and wear a seat belt. And I was reading a book, I think, and I just I felt that weird little tingle and I looked up and sure enough we were passing the house where the kids gotten killed in the street. Well, we go on Another 15, 20 miles to her house. Get there, we go in. I didn't say anything to anybody about that. I didn't mention it to my parents. Kept it to myself. I never mentioned it to anybody. But that time, she took me in the sewing room, and she started talking about feelings. And she said, you feel things, don't you? And I'm like, well, yeah. And she's like, no, no. She's like, I mean, you feel things, like that spot on the highway. On the way here tonight, my eyes got as big as sausage my jaw dropped open. And like I said, I'd never mentioned that to her. I'd never mentioned it to my parents. But she knew that I had had some sort of reaction on the way to her house that evening. So she was in tune with something. She was I don't know if she was psychic or what, but um, she was good at telling fortunes and things like that.
0: Well, she certainly had the gift, and it sounds like uh, you you got it too there, Steve. I'm just glued to my seat here uh, listening to your story, and you know, the one thing that I can hear is the sincerity in your voice. You're not making this up. You're not doing it for commercial reasons. You're really living this. You've got it in your blood. And that's what makes your books and the stories you tell all the more fascinating and exciting. You're not in it for the money. You really live this. A couple of things. There's so many so many directions we could go, but I do want to go back a couple of minutes ...to the last episode about these disappearances where you talk about a child just disappearing in front of your eyes. I remember years ago, um, Gene, you remember our friend uh, Jack Robinson of the New York days, and he related a story, and I can't remember the details anymore... Maybe it might ring a bell with you, Steve, if you've done any uh, history, um, any, any research into this and the, the history. A famous story of the disappearance, I think it was in the Midwest somewhere, a rural area, where um, a family came home from church one day. The, it was a farm family, and the, the father. The husband walked out into the field to check the field or whatever it was and suddenly disappeared in front of people's eyes. And I also, I know you're, a, Gene, you're a, you're a big movie buff. You will remember that science fiction movie, and I can't think of the, the title, where a flying saucer lands and they go underground and people walk out and disappear and fall into a hole into the ground. Do you remember that one?
1: very distantly it wasn't something that really dominated my attention
0: it featured a a boy he was the star there was a strange i remember the the i don't know the the leader or the central figure of the um the et it looked like a woman like almost like an octopus with a gigantic head uh, inside a glass globe And uh, it, it was an incredible science fiction movie that I haven't heard of for a long time. But this opens the door, Steve, to what you've been hinting at now for a long time. Now we get into the paranormal aspect of this. You touched on this at the beginning. There are perfectly normal, well, abnormal causes for disappearances, criminal activity, Insane people, predators out there, but then we get into the more paranormal, the mysterious. Mm -hmm. Uh, How how do you feel about that? I mean, from what you've told us in the last few minutes, you're obviously very open to the paranormal and the (laughs) supernatural. How many of these disappearances, in your opinion, can be attributed to supernatural
2: causes uh, well just and this is just in my opinion I, I would say probably half or more just because of uh, some of the things that that tend to um, occur in these uh, people of Germanic descent tend to go missing more than other people people wearing red tend to go missing uh, more than people not wearing red you think that'd be just the opposite you think somebody wearing bright red you could see them uh, people tend to go missing either while picking berries or near berry fields or berry bushes or briars or whatever. Uh, there's usually water involved, and people will say, sure, they fell in the water and were swept away and drowned. But even that, I mean, there's going to be some evidence behind that's found somewhere, usually. Um, and the uh, intelligence spectrum, uh, people on uh, that have um, functional autism tend to go missing, as do people that have, say, PhDs. Um, a lot of people that uh, go missing tend to be very fit, very athletic, marathon runners, climbers. There's people that are, are used to doing these things and not somebody that just, you know, by misadventure or misfortune and being you know, prepared had something happen to them. So there's there's elements that work there that, that doesn't make that much sense, you know, as far as, you know, the, the berry fields and boulder fields and, and things like that. But then when you look into some of the legends and the lore, like the Algonquins in New England, the tribe up there, they have a legend of creatures that look like boulders, and they're able to open up, swallow people, crush them, and then spit them back out. Well, a lot of these people that have been found in boulder fields, it will be in an area that's already been searched sometimes many times. They're found in an open boulder field, and they look like they've fallen from a great height, even though there's no height for them to have fallen from. We think about that. If something that looked like a boulder had the ability to open up, crush you, and spit you back out, you might look like you'd fallen from a considerable distance. So, again, that Native American legends. And I think, you know, there's an impetus of truth in all those legends. Those came from somewhere. I mean, I don't think they were just sitting around spinning yarns completely, you know, out of nothing. It, it could happen. I mean, some of these, it could have been stories that were told to children as a, a warning, you know, the, don't get too far from the, the village or the teepee or whatever. But still, and it's... In all their cultures, like you hear some of the same stories from the tribes, indigenous people on the West Coast or in the Midwest as you do down south and even up in New England. So somehow those stories got passed around with a very similar element to them. And I I believe there's a lot of truth in those legends. Again, they spoke of uh, Bigfoot type creatures, they spoke of little people, fairies, fake people, if you will. Uh, they spoke of uh, people that came from the sky uh, with uh, flying horses or horseless buggies. You know, UFOs, Bigfoot, it's all in the legends there. They just knew it by a different name. And some of those, you have it in not only Native American cultures, but in all cultures, particularly in the Nordic areas. they firm believers in uh, trolls and gnomes and, and fairies. Uh, I've read of where in Scandinavia... They'll build a highway around an outcropping of rock so they don't want to blast through the rock and upset the trolls that live in the rocks.
1: we got more with Steve, Gene, and Bob. You're in.
0: The Paracast.
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
1: Hey, listeners. The Paracast.plus to learn more
14: about Paracast Plus. You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. Let them do what they do best, deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the Tax Doctor and learn more.
8: 800-985-1610. 800-985-1610. 800-985-1610. That's 800-985-1610.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
1: You know, when people talk about legends of little people and stuff like that,
2: I think, wait a minute, doesn't that sound a little bit like gray aliens? Yeah, I think so. If, if you look at some of the descriptions, particularly in the, the Celtic lore, the the little men that came from the sky and they did mention some things like horseless carriages or horseless buggies i mean how would you describe that if you'd never seen anything that flew there you go but there is some resemblance to what they talk about you know the, the bulbous heads and the the slit eyes and things like that in some of them but once you delve into that fairy lore There are literally hundreds of different species of fairies. There are pixies, there are brownies, there are gnomes, there are trolls, there are on and on and on in different realms within those fairy creatures, and they all have different assignments and things. And then you kind of get into the religious aspect of that. People claim that those are not fairies at all, but they're fallen angels or the Nephilim or, you know, who knows what, demons of some sort. You can go down some deep rabbit holes there. The disappearance that you were you're mentioning there earlier, that was David Lying. I read that as a kid. It was in one of Frank Edwards' books that was published in 1959. Uh, He's a farmer in Gallatin, Tennessee, who was supposedly walking across the field in full view of his wife, children, and two men that were approaching in a buggy. He was just there one minute, gone the next. And I think they did find a circle of discolored grass where he disappeared. And at some point, his children had gathered around that and were calling for him. And they heard his disembodied voice calling for help, and then it faded away, and they never heard him again.
0: That's the story, uh, Steve, exactly the story I mentioned before. It was related by uh, someone uh, we knew in the New York offbeat circle by the name of John J. Robinson, Jack Robinson. And that's precisely the story. I I thought it was the Midwest, rather, and uh, you say it's Tennessee. When you Uh talked about people who have been found looking as though they had fallen from great heights, but there were none, the first thing that came into my mind is that they were levitated or teleported into a ufo and then dropped that's one (laughs) incredible explanation but everything we're talking about here is incredible
2: yeah that's that's another thing i've even heard search and rescue national park service employees say they didn't go into the mountain they're not on the mountain the only word they could have went is up and it it makes you wonder if that's maybe not what happened And Some of them, for whatever reason, were tossed back out or, again, you know, did the rocks swallow them and spit them back up? Did something pick them up and drop them? Mm -hmm. And then some of these things, there are no real answers and there are only more questions. And I've found that through all my research and and stuff that I've gotten into. uh, I've come up with a lot more questions than answers. Answers are few and far between. So now it's a quest for the next question.
0: Just as a little anecdote here about trolls, I don't know how well known it is, but the English word toll, to pay a toll, comes from trolls in Scandinavia and particularly in Sweden. The myth is that when you were walking along out in the countryside, a troll would jump out of the bushes or wherever and demand payment to let you pass. And if you didn't pay him, bad things happened to you. And that was the origin of the English word troll, to pay the troll to let you go past. I lived in Sweden for a couple of years a long time ago, uh, so I know that story firsthand. You know, I I, want to make a personal statement here, and I have a feeling from what you've said so far, you'll probably agree with me, but I'm not leading the witness again. I love the woods. My father was a woodsman. He was a hiker. He did the Appalachian Trail, by the way, most of it, from um, Pennsylvania, actually, uh, yeah, Pennsylvania, all the way down to West Virginia, I think, and then and, and back again, and was bitten by a dog and uh, along the way and told a lot of stories. So I was familiar with the outdoors and loved the outdoors. We went camping and so on. I was in the Boy Scouts, and we did a lot of this. But, you know, I live out in the country here, outside Bern, Switzerland, in a beautiful area, and we have lots and lots of woods. And I love them during the daylight, but I don't want to be anywhere near them at night. I don't know if it's something primordial or something, you know, there's danger in the woods, maybe a predator or something else. There, There are predators in the woods, but the big question is, what kind? When I say predator, I don't necessarily mean an animal. We don't have bears around here. We don't have wild cats. But there's just something, I don't know, that tells me I don't belong in the woods at night. I get nervous. We used to take the dog up, you know, in the winter time. It got dark early, and I just couldn't wait to get back into the car to drive back to the village. And I just have a feeling that, the woods are a great place during daylight, but we just don't belong there at night because of things in there that reside, <laughs> entities that reside in the woods. What do you think about that?
2: I agree, and I think, like you said, it's it's one of our, our primal fears that we've managed to hold on to is that fear of the dark, that fear of not knowing. That There's something out there, you know, there could be something out there. And I believe that there is. I mean, a lot of these stories, they may have been told as cautionary tales to keep children out of the woods at night. But then I think there is definitely something out there, too. It kind of goes both ways. But uh, that's I think that's one of our greatest fears as a human is something that we can't see. And that's why a lot of these stories, I think, are so fascinating because it's it's an unknown. And when you're trying to factor in an unknown like that, when it's something that's after you, that's that's the most frightening thing. I've, I've had encounters in the woods with things that I couldn't see. And to me, that was much more frightening than something I could see. Give me a bear or a wildcat any day. I can see that. I can identify that. I can get away from it. But something that you can't see, that's, you know, how do you even... The only thing you can do is run and then hope for the best.
0: Gene, what was the name of that student film project? Um, it was called The Something Project that was just about this. It was a scary movie done by, by students. Something with B. Blair Witch Project. The Blair Witch Project. Exactly.
1: That's where they were able to make a film with a multi-million dollar gross for like
0: $15,000. Yeah, and it was kids who did it. And it was scary. Uh, It was really scary. And the other one uh, in the same genre almost was The Night of the Living Dead. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I tell you that uh, some of these low-budget movies are <laughs> among the scariest uh, that you can imagine. You know, uh, talking about things in the woods. Um, I had a friend of mine; he, he still is, but uh, he did a lot of traveling. Uh, actually, he was a Hindu monk. Did Before a lot. Before we traveling. go to the
1: Hindu monk, let me just give you stats here. Okay. The Blair Rich project took eight days to film, about twenty hours of footage was shot. The original budget actually was between thirty-five and sixty thousand dollars, but it did cost, they estimate, between two hundred thousand and seven hundred and fifty thousand after post production. Okay? The film rights were purchased by Am by Artists and Entertainment for one point one million and the total Gross of Blair Rich Project, two hundred fifty million dollars. Go back.
2: Wow, (laughs) Wow. phenomenal. And most of that expense after post was for making the prints to to, for the distributors to send to the theaters. But wasn't it
0: wasn't it uh, conceived and produced or or filmed actually by students?
2: Yeah, it was uh, totally unknown people. They just took cameras with them out in the woods. They didn't really even necessarily know what was going to happen. Sometimes they would get a script like the night before. uh, They called it tree mail. Uh, The director would leave what was going to happen. He knew. He had things planned out. But uh, most of the people in it didn't know what was going to happen or to who or or when. Mm -hmm. And I think that was what made it so scary. And then their marketing campaign, they – Started putting up posters around college campuses. Have you seen these people? These uh, three kids from Berksville, Maryland, disappeared on such and such dates. Uh, the only thing we found was some video footage. Steve, Bob Jean, you're in the Paracast.
1: Hey, listeners. the Plus. to learn more about paracast plus
9: Tahibo tea club's original pure Pau arco super tea helps build the red corpuscles in the blood which carry oxygen to our organs and cells our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves the immune system needs oxygen to develop and cancer dies in oxygen So the tea is great for healthy people, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. A one-pound package of tea is $34.95 plus shipping. To order, please visit ShopSuperTea.com. That's Shop, S-H-O-P, Super, S-U-P-E-R, T-T-E-A, dot com. So the complete website is ShopSuperTea.com or call us at 818 984 Four six one zero zero, Monday through Saturday, nine to five California time. Then shop super dot com at eight one eight nine eight four six one zero zero.
13: hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: A way to market a film that costs practically nothing to make and gets huge returns. But think about it this way, guys. You can buy a brand new iPhone. They've got a new version called the iPhone 13, where it does create pictures in a cinematic mode, which automatically provides the focus and the focal length to make it look like a film. You can buy this for prices starting at $700, plus, you know, the monthly rate that you pay if you buy it on time. But you could make professional-grade 4K movies, with this little device and a budget of nothing almost.
0: But the charm of these productions like a Night of the Living Dead and the, the Brerewitch um project is the simplicity of the production. They weren't slick at all. They were that maybe that's was part of the the power of them that you felt as though they were, you were you were part of it. It was like your own home movies, you know. It was not Hollywood or anything like that. But I do want to um, tell you the story about the Hindu monk who was not directly involved in this, but he had a couple of of, of colleagues of his, and they were traveling in. Here it comes, folks, Transylvania. <laughs> And Transylvania, for those who don't know, it was not invented by Frankenstein. It actually exists. It's a huge, uh, huge woods in uh, Romania. And they were traveling through there. And it's just like the movie. They were warned by the local people, don't stay in the woods, make it to the next village. And they didn't. They were in a car. They were in a van, an old van. And they just couldn't make it to the next village. They were in the middle of somewhere and they decided to spend the night parked on the side of the road or the dirt road, whatever it was in the middle of the woods in Transylvania. I won't draw it out. The punchline comes very quickly. They woke up in the middle of the night, you know, the classic two or three o'clock in the morning with noise of things, something are scurrying around the vehicle. And they looked out, they turned on the light, and peering at them from the windshield and from the side windows were what these monks described as demons, horrible creatures. And it scared the daylights out of them, and they just stayed in there. And did whatever they did, prayers or mantras or whatever, to get rid of these things. And they swear that it was absolutely true. And from what I know of Hindu monks, they do not make up stories like this. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how many stories like this apply to uh, the national parks in the United States. Look, uh, you mentioned the Celtic beliefs. I believe it is the Celts, and certainly in Ireland especially, Don't they believe that fairies and ghosts and supernatural entities live inside the trees and come out during the night? I'm sure you've heard that one, Steve.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And in, in the trees and the woodlands, but particularly in the trees. And then you had the Druids, of course, in that general area, too, that believed that the, the trees had spirits and things that dwelled inside the tree. So.
0: Exactly, exactly. That's the point, yeah. And who knows? I mean, you, you, you said uh, earlier on in the show uh, about wanting to lie down, uh, uh, you know, underneath a beautiful old oak tree. And something inside said... Not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe you were getting a message from somebody (laughs) or something. You know, intuition, it's not directly related to what we're talking about, but I think for people who are going out in the woods or going out in desolate areas, we should listen to our intuition. I'm convinced that we are programmed. You know, like a computer, we've got all kinds of programs inside, all kinds of software that keep us alive. Instincts, primordial things, you know, warnings. Maybe we're in contact with some kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, spirits or guardian angels or whatever you want to call it. But we all have felt this. We have all gone through this, that something says, don't go around the corner or put your brakes on. There's danger, you know, and as you say, synchronistically, somehow it can save your life. And it's happened to all of us. So we have to really take this seriously. I mean, we have no right to be so skeptical. This is uncharted area. And what you've been doing, Steve, in the national parks and disappearing people, I mean, up to a point, we can rationally explain, as you have. What happens to people? I mean, I, I've heard stories about Swiss from Swiss mountain guides down in Zermatt uh, at the Matterhorn saying they had to turn people away because they turned up to climb the Matterhorn wearing sneakers. <laughs> yeah, you know, some people just are not equipped to survive in the wild. But you know, you put that in the equation from what from what I understand from your writing and what you've been saying, like in UFOs. There is a large category, a large group of these things that cannot it be explained by rational explanations.
2: Yeah, indeed. And, that, and that's where the fascinating part comes in. I mean, yeah, there's going to be death by misadventure or, like you said, being ill-prepared, uh, the wrong kind of clothing, not enough clothing, not enough food and water. I recommend even if you're just going for a short hike take enough stuff to last 2 or 3 days because you never know. Um I know people that that saved their life then through no supernatural event or anything they just simply got lost. And uh likewise there are people that go into the woods uh to not be found. The people that that want to either end it all, which that happens occasionally, uh, or people that just want to start a new life, so they disappear in the woods, come back out somewhere else out of the woods, and and carry on. Now that's a little harder now than it would have been, you know, decades ago. But even with the ones that uh, take their own life, some of these people, I mean, literally, they 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 parked at the trailhead, they walked onto the trail, uh, maybe a few miles in, and then disappeared, and never saw them again. I don't know how you could find a place to end your life that quickly where nobody's going to find your body nobody's going to find anything and again with animal predation there's going to be some kind of evidence there's going to be signs of a struggle there's going to be torn clothing there's going to be blood, hair there's no animal out there that can eat the entire human in one setting bears tend to cache their kills in the bushes or even in the dirt where big cats like to, to leave theirs up in a tree so they can come back and get to it And that's, you know, they take that into account when they search for people. They look, those searchers know those things. They look for signs of a struggle. They look up in the trees. They beat the bushes to make sure there's not a partially devoured body in there and stuff. So, where did those people go? That's the thing. You know, even there have been people that even know that people knew that they were going in there to end their lives, yet they still never found the body.
1: I'm going to ask you a quick question before we go on with the case histories and speculation about other motives for people to want to disappear themselves. That might be always worth considering. We're looking at Steve Stockton here and the books we're discussing are National Park Mysteries and Disappearances available in the main volume and in volume Two. more to come with Gene. With Bob and with Steve, you're in
0: the Paracast.
7: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNLive.com today.
5: USA Radio News
10: with Tim Berg. The killing of Gabby Petito and the disappearance of the person of interest in her death, her fiancé, Brian Laundrie, is prompting an attorney in Florida to put up a $20,000 bounty to track down his whereabouts. Tatiana Buoff, a lawyer and mom of two, saying, I think every missing child is a parent's worst nightmare. We hope that together we can get some answers and some justice for Gabby. Reality TV star Dog the Bounty Hunter also joining in the search for laundry. Former President Trump is rallying voters in Georgia Saturday in support of Republican campaigns to win back the House from Democrats in the 2022 midterm elections.
2: One year from now, Georgia is going to be a central battleground in our fight to rescue our beloved nation.
10: The former president in Perry, Georgia, USA Radio News. Next week, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Mark Milley will testify before Congress on the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Iowa Republican Senator Joni Ernst says the administration is leaving behind Americans still in the country.
4: This administration is acting as if we are done with Afghanistan. We are done getting Americans out.
10: Ernst continuing on Fox News by saying there will be questions about the U.S. soldiers who were killed near the Kabul airport during the evacuation
4: we lost 13 souls those brave service members in the last few days of this haphazard withdrawal we need to know and understand what has happened
10: the 13 service members were killed in a suicide bombing president biden and vice president harris have nothing on their public schedules this weekend president biden spending his weekend at camp david last weekend he spent it at the beach in delaware and you're listening to usa radio news
5: we are GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. We've got listeners, lots of them. Around the world, around the clock, our listeners do what listeners do they listen. And you know what listeners got? Needs. Needs for your products, your services, and money to buy those needs. With our network of over 1,000 radio stations, streaming on the web, and our satellite transmissions, we're reaching our listeners with quality conservative programming. But there's something our listeners don't have. Your offer to meet their needs. Any business needs buyers. But if our listeners don't hear your message, they're still going to buy what they need. Just not from your business. So let's fix this. Tell us about your business, then let our super creative department go to work to craft just the right message for our GCN listeners. Get started today with GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. Just shoot us an email, advertise at GCNlive.com.
0: Hi, this is James Fox. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: so steve stockman before we get back to this just wanted to throw this in obviously it's possible that certainly adults who might disappear have what they might regard as legitimate reasons to want not to be found financial criminal etc and they're doing this to escape justice how do we separate that do we look into the backstory to see if there is one
2: Yeah, that would be the easiest way. I mean, you have people like um, Eric Rudolph. He uh, blew up some abortion clinics and things because of his political and religious views and uh, became FBI's most wanted. He went on the the run and went into the National Forest. I think he was down in the... Let's say Georgia, North Carolina, that area, Nantahala and some of those places down there. And it's a good place to hide. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of acres of absolute wilderness. I mean, if you stayed off the trails and away from the places where people tend to go, Uh, I believe there's places in the National Forest and National Parks that possibly no human has ever set foot, at least not any time recently. And he was able to stay in there for several years. And uh, the only reason he got caught when he did, he got a little too bold and was uh, coming out of the woods and going into town and scavenging in the dumpsters. A rookie police officer saw him digging in the dumpster and recognized him from the wanted posters. So I, I think there are probably fugitives out there, people that uh, don't want to be found for whatever reason. It might not be anything that spectacular. It could be somebody that just wanted a new life, somebody that wanted to walk away, that uh – uh left their entire family behind and decided to stay in the woods i mean there are people like uh, us hermits that uh, don't want to be bothered with uh, everyday living and if you can live off the grid that would be the place to do it i mean you've got fresh water you've got game if you're handy with uh, trapping or fishing if you know uh, wood lore and woodcraft and things you can build shelters you can survive out there it's within us i think a lot of it With creature comforts and thing has been bred out of us, but at one time we knew how to do it. I mean, just a few generations ago, my father's family—they came from Middle Tennessee, over on the Cumberland Plateau, Fentress County, uh, Jamestown area—and they they didn't have electricity until my dad was six years old. He was born in 1921, so they had uh, they drank water out of the creek, they hunted for food, they farmed. So, just you know, a few generations back, it was possible. I think there's people that take that challenge up and just disappear. I have a, a YouTube channel called Missing Persons and Mysteries, and I just recorded a story for there today about a girl named Fauna Jackson, who was part of a, like a work study program. Had gone into the Tetons. She was from Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, she was 16 years old had volunteered to work on this like a civic project where they went out and did trail building and stuff in the the national parks out there Uh, she disappeared and of course being a child a teenager the alarm went up right away they found her within a day or two it was a few days i think but the odd thing about it was when they found her she had cut her own hair dyed it a different color had different clothing on and actually ran from the, the the search and rescue crews. They had to finally get the, the police to help restrain her. Uh, she just she didn't want to go back to her home, her family, her school. Even at sixteen years old, she would had enough of uh, the good life, so to speak, and just had plans to uh, hide out in the woods and disappear and then start over at some point. So I think there is cases of that that can happen, and that's. But again, you know. Most of those are found one way or the other, whether they're a criminal or whether somebody like this that just takes off on a whim, more or less, because she hadn't really prepared for it or she would have been better prepared, needless to say.
1: I would imagine also, Steve, there are digital methods of falsifying your ID, where if you move, say, to another country, it would be more difficult in the U.S. to escape detection, that you could probably survive under your fake digital identity. For many, many years before you'd be discovered, if then.
2: Yeah. And like I said, it's more difficult now than it used to be. I mean, look at somebody like John List, uh, murdered his entire family, uh, moved to another state, uh, changed his name, and started a whole new family. And it took them years and years to catch him, even though he was not hiding in the woods or anything. He was hiding in plain sight. And as uh, things, the show was um, Unsolved Mysteries, or one of those aired a segment on him, and the neighbors recognized him and said, "Hey, that looks like so and so." Turns out it was him, and, and they caught him that way. So uh, it's more difficult than it used to be, for sure. But I think if you've got money or the wherewithal and make the right connections, you can. For example, I lived in Las Vegas for a few years, uh, several years ago. It's been about eight years ago now. I lived out there for about seven years. And there was a a flea market in North Las Vegas that uh, I was told you could get anything you wanted there. You could get a passport, you could get a birth certificate, driver's license, anything you wanted, pro-official looking for a price. Now, I don't know. I didn't test that theory, but that was what I heard. And a lot of people do go to the desert to disappear, either to a place like Las Vegas where you can just get lost in the crowd or the grander part of the bigger part of the desert. There's a lot of uh, missing people in the deserts out there, in the Mojave. Uh,
0: I have to jump in here because I have a European perspective. I grew up in Northern New Jersey, um, but I've lived most of my life in Switzerland uh, for professional reasons. And uh, uh, I, I want to get into Northern New Jersey in just a few minutes, if I may. But um, this is an interesting point about uh, finding people or how easy it is to disappear. Um, uh, I think this is maybe one of the reasons why, to my knowledge, we don't have so many stories of disappearing people over here. Because unlike the United States, and I think Canada as well, um, you can't disappear that easily here. Because if you take up residence in a town, for example, here in Switzerland and other countries in Europe, it's exactly the same. You have to register with the local authorities They know who you are. They know where you are. Uh, you can't do any kind of social services or or function normally without being registered so everybody can put their fingers on you not in right. an evil way i mean we're not being suppressed by the authorities you know we're not losing our freedoms here but they know where you are you're registered and you know if somebody goes missing here it's on national television you know mm-hmm. they come up and uh, they you know Mr so and so they give a description has been missing for 3 days has anybody seen Seen this person, and very often they turn up. Um, I I think, and I I love the supernatural. I'm not trying to detract from that, but I think a lot of these things are really, as you've been describing them, Steve, uh, just people going under. You know, Uh, they they just want to get out of the rat race. They want to disappear. But of course, that does not mean that there are not other explanations. Uh, paranormal right. explanations to this which we'll get into
2: yeah I try to look at the whole picture that way and that's you know kind of Occam's razor sometimes you have to approach the most likely to happen and assume that's what did happen but a lot of times that's just not the case you know that it's there's something else has gone on there
0: uh I mentioned uh, northern New Jersey just a few seconds ago.
2: Um are
0: you aware and if you're not I I I I won't hold it against you because it's 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 a, a somewhat obscure. There is uh on the New Jersey New York state line uh that's just near where i grew up as a matter of fact mm-hmm. uh mawa new jersey just straddling the new york new jersey line there is a the watchung mountains and i don't know if that rings a bell but that we have a lot of, we had a lot of stories of disappearing people there but having said a as they say in german you have to say b that's the A statement. The B statement follows. There is a minority group which has settled there uh, for you know a couple of hundred years now, called the Jackson Whites. Mm-hmm. That's what they're called. Maybe you've heard of them. Yeah, they came up from the south, and uh, they don't like strangers there. And uh, you know, when I grew up, and we knew it, and the, the Boy Scouts, you, you we were told just stay out of there because. People turn up among the missing in that area.
1: We're going to miss these announcements if we don't listen to them. More to come with Steve, Bob, Gene, you're in.
0: The Paracast.
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit gcnlive.com today.
8: that's 800-475-0092.
4: Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD.
15: For over 20 years, Extendivite has been helping people. Here is a testimonial from Amazon.com. Glad I found this product. I am 51 years old and started getting headaches a couple of times a week. I went to the doctor and my blood pressure was a little high at around 150 over 95. I found out about Extendivite and I ordered some to try it. Immediately I felt better and it lowered my blood pressure and my headaches went away almost instant. I have been taking it now for about four months, and I am so glad I found this product. You won't be disappointed. ExtendoVite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. That's H-E-A-R-T-D-R-O-P.com. Extend your life with ExtendoVite.
2: co-author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening
1: to the Paracast. As some of our regular listeners recall, the late Jim Mosley had visited the Jackson Whites at one time and wrote about them.
0: And lived to tell the tale.
1: Yes, or maybe he didn't, I don't know. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'm surprised people know about it, because I thought it was a very local thing. Speaking of local things, Steve, I've got to bring up uh, something very close to uh, Jean's heart and location. Also, my parents, when they retired from New Jersey, they moved out to Phoenix, Arizona, to Scottsdale, and there is a notorious mountain range called the Superstition Mountains. And there are a lot of stories there going back to the Indians, the native peoples, lots and lots of disappearing people there. It's not a national park, maybe not exactly in your ballpark, but I have a suspicion you've heard of it at least.
2: Oh, I've not only heard of it, I've been there. Uh, That was one of the things I read about like back in the 70s, and that was on my bucket list until I was old enough to get out there and visit. Yeah, there's all kinds of strange things out there. Of course, you've got the the Flying Dutchman mine. Uh, There's stories of rocks that can't be photographed, of uh, clouds that will come up out of nowhere and follow you along like they're, they're shadowing you. Uh, There's a lot of beheadings out there. They found several corpses without a head and never found the head. So, again, it's it's not a national park or any kind of recreation area, really. But strange things happen there. Uh, There are some tribes that won't go into it at all, that avoid it, you know, go way around to stay out of it. Uh, there are others that uh, will go only go to certain parts of it and then sometimes just don't seem to care and i think that's unique how you have those different bands of uh indians there that means something different to all of them but they still acknowledge that there's something there and usually when these places have a, a name superstition ghost devil satan something like that there's a reason for that there's something that has occurred there at one time or another or strange things that still happen there. I mean, even recently, you had the, the family that was found uh, deceased on the trail there in Mariposa County, those mountains, in a place called Devil's Gulch. Well, there you go. Nobody that I've heard yet has uh, told why it come to have that name, but uh, stay, stay out of places with that name.
0: <laughs> and we have to, uh, again, you say A, you've got to say B. Uh, this begs the discussion about the darrows i don't know if you're familiar with them they're not necessarily generic to your field of interest but uh, this is allegedly and um, it's been reported for many years the story of uh, a, a group uh, uh, underground race living presumably we don't know for sure but they may live around or underneath the Superstition Mountains. They come out of caves. They have caves there. They abduct people, turn them into slaves, and sometimes even kill them. And this is one explanation for the many disappearances there. And, of course, Gene, you'll remember the story about Steve Brody, which we've mentioned here on the Paracast several times, the story told by Jack Robinson in Jersey City, New Jersey, about a friend of his who was out in what we assume was the superstition mountains with a friend looking for precious stones and they were abducted by the Darrows, They were not killed, but were managed to escape somehow and turned up with a complete mental blackout. The, the partner, got lost somewhere. No one knew what happened to him. But uh, Steve Brody turned up in New York City. Uh, Have you ever um, had any dealings? Uh, Not not personally, but have you heard about the uh, the Darrow stories, Steve?
2: Yeah, I I have heard the Darrow's and there's similar tales about Mount Shasta, which I covered. It's in California. I covered that in the the second volume of National Park Mysteries and Disappearances. There's a A very similar type race of people that supposedly live in the mountain and do the same things. They kidnap people or try to brainwash them or impregnate them or or do all these other things, take samples from them and make uh, other prototypes. There's some weird stuff out there in the desert, that's for sure. The Superstition Mountains, it's got a strange, strange off feeling about it. And then kind of like Sedona, I know a lot of people that that's a power spot. There's supposedly a vortex there. But there's an evil side to that, too, I think. It's not all unicorns and rainbows down there. Anytime I think that you have that kind of a vortex, if you will, there's an evil side or a darker side to it. You mentioned the Jackson Whites. Yeah, I was real familiar with that. Um, The head writer for the YouTube channel, and she's also my co-host for the live stream and stuff. She's from New Jersey and has many, many tales of driving through that area, you know, on dares and stuff as teenagers. We had kind of the same thing in uh, East Tennessee, uh, people called the Melungeons. They were kind of a swarthy, dark-skinned people. Nobody knew exactly where they were from, and it was the same kind of thing. You don't go where they are. They'll, They'll shoot at you. They'll get in their vehicles and chase you. Very similar to the Jackson Whites. We cannot
0: possibly avoid, and I'm sure we don't wish to, but as a figure of speech, we cannot avoid Bigfoot. (laughs) <laughs> now, Bigfoot has got to figure somewhere, at least in speculation about uh, disappearing people. We hear on the one hand that Bigfoot is very elusive, shy of people. But I've heard other stories. I know uh, you followed um, Ivan Sanderson.
9: Mm-hmm.
0: And I remember I, I interviewed Ivan Sanderson many years ago in the 1960s on uh, two occasions. Uh, and he was talking about Bigfoot. He claims that they've never been violent, but I've heard other people who claim that they can be very violent, uh, ripping up camps and uh, even attacking people. I mean, what what do you know about Bigfoot in connection with
2: missing people? Yeah, that's, that's one of the things that you have to consider. There are stories... Of uh, particularly missing children that were later found, that have stories of either a bear or a dog that took care of them, and in some cases um, picking berries and things like that and bringing them to them. Well, I've never heard tell of a dog or a bear that would uh, take care of a human child, and, and certainly a dog can't pick berries, and I don't think a bear would. But uh, those stories, I, I tend to think those kids they encountered something other than a dog or an animal that's just all they know though at that age it's usually kids like under five that have had those experiences i believe bigfoot plays into some of these there's been adults that have described those kind of creatures um just up the road here from where i am in oregon on the uh, mount saint helens in washington miners encountered uh, what they described as uh hairy ape men on the the slopes of Mount St. Helens and uh, fought with them. Uh, The creatures trapped them in their cabin, tried to reach in and pull them out, rained boulders down on the cabin all night and later they thought that they shot and killed one and in fact there's been some expeditions up there to see if they, they think they've found the site of that original cabin, so now they're looking in the surrounding area to see if they can find uh, a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch skeleton it tends to be Sasquatch out here, Bigfoot Sasquatch, pretty much the same thing just different vernacular there I believe that there's other stories um, going back uh, to even the 17 and 1800s of these beasts, sometimes they take people they particularly seem to be interested in women and children There was a story out of um, Bennington, Vermont, uh, Bennington Triangle. As it's known, there's been a lot of strange disappearances there. There was one thing I came across, a report from the 1800s, where a stagecoach was going through an area there in the triangle and got stuck in the mud while trying to get it unstuck some hairy tall creature runs out of the woods turns the stagecoach full of people over then looks in the window sees the people in their screams and runs away into the woods so I, I think there there are some sort of beasts out there you call it bigfoot sasquatch yeti Yowie, whatever you word for it is i think there's something out there and i think sometimes it does take people it can be Uh, There's different versions of it. There's one place out here, uh, Asseti Ranch in Washington, where they regularly have Bigfoot and UFO encounters. They claim that that Bigfoot is just a different race of beings and that they're uh, friendly and benevolent. But then there's other places like the the one on Mount St. Helens where the Bigfoot attacks or where Bigfoot has tried to, to nab children or women. So this again, I guess if they if they do exist, they're they're like people. There are good ones and bad ones. Uh,
0: yeah, so they're not uh, they're not uh, law abiding, peaceful citizens like uh, uh, Ivan Sanderson claimed. I remember in the interview. In fact, I put it to him uh, that they can be violent. He said, "Where did you get that from?" And I said, "Well, I've heard the stories. <laughs> nonsense. Well, Obviously, now, it's not." Unfortunately, nonsense,
1: Steve, I, uh, unfortunately, Ivan Sanderson died so many years ago he was what i think in the 60s when he died and it would have been fortunate to have him around for another 10 or 20 years he was a fascinating gentleman indeed we have steve stockton and we're focusing mainly on his national park mysteries and disappearances books but there's a lot more to come with gene and bob you're in the
0: paracast (laughs)
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNLive.com today.
0: Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: As we continue to explore the strange, the unknown, disappearing people, is it possible, Steve, then, that Bigfoot is nabbing these young people? And since we can't find the Bigfoot... We can't find them. But then one of the theories about Bigfoot, and we mentioned this somewhat when we talked to Stan Gordon last week, is that they pop in and out from another dimension or reality. So would that be a possibility if we're going to look at paranormal explanations, Steve, that when these people are being nabbed, they're going to this other reality, which is why they never get back and there's no sign of them anymore.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's uh, as plausible as any of the other explanations. Either something like you mentioned, Bigfoot comes out of that dimension, takes them back with it, or they somehow inadvertently walk through a portal. Or I've heard stories of that for people that have been missing and have returned, where they just suddenly, even though they know they were on a trail, they suddenly weren't. Nothing looked familiar. They look behind them. The area that they just come from doesn't look like where they just passed through. Uh, In some cases, they've even heard and seen the searchers off at a distance, but it's like the searchers can't see or hear them, but yet they can see the searchers but can never get close enough to them. Um, I think there's some sort of parallel dimension or alternate reality or something there, and sometimes there's just a little – I've heard it described as two pieces of silk, and they touch together, and when they touch, sometimes things from one piece of silk sticks to the other, and then they pull apart. Things get transferred that way. There's been a lot of stories like that of people that have disappeared and uh, found themselves in another place that they didn't recognize. Uh, there'll usually be a uh, time loss or gain with that. Some instances, person was maybe missing for days, yet in their own judgment of time, they'd only been missing for a few minutes. And then there's the other side of that there's people that have been missing for a few minutes that claim they were in some other place. For days, there was one little girl that disappeared. Uh, that claimed she was in a place where it, it never got dark, and she had been missing for two or three days. But she said the sun never set.
0: Maybe so. she was in uh, northern Scandinavia. <laughs> <There> you, <go. laughs> you know, I, I I just made a note here on uh, on a piece of paper that I I want to bring up right now because I know Steve. That you are personally also interested in ghosts. You mentioned this a long time ago, earlier in the show, through your grandmother and so on. And I know you have a personal interest in ghosts. Let me put it this way you know, uh, over here in Europe, we were all, the Romans were all over the place here, this country, and then, you know, all the neighboring countries were Romanized. When I walk through the woods and just sit there and I wonder, what is buried below my feet, or within a few feet of me here? Where did the Romans bury their dead? Where did the Celts bury them their dead? You know, we've lost track of this, and I wonder the same thing about North America and other parts of the world. I'd like to bring this up too in a moment, about places beyond the United States. you know, ghosts, the woods. Somehow I can imagine, I have an, I have a f- fantastic mind, I don't mean in terms of genius, but I mean I, fantasy. I can fantasize that wooded areas were always a favorite to bury the dead. It's just a theory of mine. Mm-hmm. And I wonder... You know, we go back, I mean, and we talk about native peoples and beyond them, you know, even prehistorically, what happened to these people? And I wonder if some of the disappearances, if we really want to get supernatural now, were somehow the victims of returning spirits who may be. You know, we're defending their graves or something like that. I, I, I guess you see where I'm going, but mm-hmm. it's a bit of a fantastic theory or speculation. But I wonder. I mean, it's as it's as valid as any other <laughs> incredible theory, isn't
2: it? Yeah, indeed. And there have been uh, reportings of that, like in uh, the UK. I know there's a very famous there uh, area there. Um, I think it's part of the National Trust now, where they have seen apparitions of Roman soldiers marching through the basement but at a a different level and coming through the wall and stuff, and that's what they presumed was, uh, and then found out later that it was indeed true that the old Roman road was much lower and passed right through where the house is, and then everything was built on top of that. So that's the thing, you know, particularly with countries like that that have a lot of history, going way, way back. You don't know what's been on that ground before or what's happened there. And then there's a very interesting... um, theory about some of those type hauntings, the stone tape theory where uh, the the granite or whatever rock was used in the building material has somehow captured something and is replaying it. And you think about that and that sounds kind of outlandish and, and really out there. But, uh, audio tape or videotape, all that is, is mylar plastic with ferrous oxide particles on it. And one head on the machine records and the other plays back. So I could see how with the right combination of rock or crystal or, or whatever that you could capture that. And under the right conditions, it just spontaneously plays back. I mean, think about a crystal. You can put that in your watch and it'll run the old, old CSS band radios. You had to buy a crystal to put in it for the different channels that you wanted. Right. Right. Uh, likewise, the old crystal radios. I had. I was talking about that recently on a show, Then somebody thought I was making that up, and I'm like, no, you can make a, a crystal set. And uh, I sent them a, a link on the Internet, and they were just absolutely blown away. But when I was a kid, we did that in the Cub Scouts. We took like a, a toilet paper or a paper towel tube and some copper wire and a razor blade and a thumbtack and a, a piece of quartz and made a radio receiver out of it. You know, Sure. Foxhole sure. radio. what
0: Sure. I'm a radio ham, by the way, HB9ASQ, Hotel Bravo Nine Alpha Sierra Quebec. So I know you, what you're saying is absolutely right, <laughs> and you know you you uh, you jogged my memory there. We're going back a long, long time. Science fiction theater. It used to be thirty minute. Programs. I think it was on CBS years and years ago, and uh, it was fascinating stories. A precursor to the Twilight Zone, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, a science fiction theater came out, and I remember there was an ap- an episode there where exactly what you were just talking about, Steve. What some scientist invented a machine, a device that could play back historic moments. In audio, based on rocks that had absorbed the sound of that
2: moment—amazing, yeah,
0: yeah—and uh, it, it just—it just occurred to me when you. Well, why not? I mean, who knows what's in those rocks? And yeah. uh, often on this program and others, I mean, people are saying, you know, talking about, for example, um, back engineering you know how you know it's not easy to back engineer because you have to understand the technology or the science involved to be able to back engineer and mm. maybe we we see all these rocks lying around there maybe maybe they're containing incredible historic documents, maybe video, audio. We just don't know how to access it. So I like your theory a lot, Steve. I'll be honest yeah. with you. Well,
2: that's not my original theory, but just one that I've heard that, that sounds plausible. But, yeah, I think there are a lot of things that may be natural. We just don't understand it yet. And uh, I've heard that also as an explanation for a lot of the spook lights that they see along old disused railroad beds. That they think it may have to do with the competition or the composition of said railroad beds. The layers that they put before they put the the cross ties and the rails down. Uh, they they use certain types of rock and gravel and dirt and things to build yeah. those beds up. Yeah, so then,
0: ballast, uh, ballast, they call it.
2: Yeah. So I've heard that as a, a reason behind uh, the spook lights where they see a train light coming down the track where there hadn't been a train through there in 100 years. And maybe the track's not left. Track's been pulled up. To, uh, the cross ties have rotted. But you've still got those layers of uh, whatever they use there to build the roadbed. bed. Well, We're going to get into was-
1: more of this infrastructure, okay. which is a big subject <laughs> nowadays, in a few moments. We have Steve Stockton, first time he's joining us on the Powercast. We started off with strange disappearances because we have these events that never seem to be explained satisfactorily. And the books he's written, National Park Mysteries and Disappearances, Volume One and Volume Two, from Beyond the Fray Publishing. They have a whole bunch of titles that are fascinating. Steve, Gina, and Bob, you're in the Paracast.
5: Yes, the pandemic is coming to an end. Restrictions are coming to an end. But body aches and pains never seem to end. That's why you need to click sunny-bay.com for the best sleep you can get. Sunny Bay's legendary products can help, like our lavender stress-reducing products, locally sourced and handmade in the USA. Or try Sunny Bay's award-winning pillows for traveling or extra neck support while sleeping. No need for pills or expensive chiropractic visits. Our neck support pillows are that good. Sunny Bay is a homegrown small business, but our products are designed and rigorously tested based on your demand and feedback, and they make great gifts for mom, dad, or anyone. Find Sunny Bay products on Amazon, Walmart, Etsy, or at sunny-bay.com. And right now, get free heat patches and a belt with any purchase. So remember, Sunny Bay heating pads, neck pillows, and stress-relieving hot or cold wraps as restrictions come to an end and you get back to work. Do it the healthy way with Sunny Bay.
16: Angie's list is now Angie and getting your to-do list done just got easier between back to school and with the holidays around the corner it can feel like there's no time to tackle home projects whether you need help with emergency repairs or major upgrades Angie matches you with top local pros who can get the job done right browse reviews see upfront pricing and instantly book hundreds of projects save time for what matters most book your next project at Angie.com that's A-N-G-I.com
12: Oh whale
17: Guys whale Wow Whale
12: Oh that's a big whale Um okay whale
1: whale whale Oh no whale
5: The tides can turn quick on the water Progressive's boat insurance has you covered get a quote today in as little as three minutes at progressive.com well, at least
12: it wasn't a shark, am I right?
7: <laughs>
13: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Do you want to give you and your loved ones premium nutrition right now? Hi, I'm Jamel Bookaboo from TeamGaday.com and the GCN Longevity Health Team. Get your premium nutrition formulated by world-renowned naturopathic doctor, Dr. Joel Wallach at Wholesale, or also become a distributor and earn income while supporting this broadcast. Go to TeamGaday.com via the shopping cart or contact form, and I'll get back to you with support personally. That's TeamGaday.com with Longevity. TeamGaday.com
10: hey this is marie d jones the author of this book is from the future and you are listening to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio
1: now of all these strange things happening steve have you, in your travels, run across people who are trying to put
2: one over on you? Not as much as you would think, but mostly because the stories that I've collected for say, my first book, Strange Things in the Woods, that was uh, family and, and family friends, people that my parents and grandparents knew and things like that. And a lot of them were reticent to talk about it in the first place. Some people were a little more... Willing at first, and then others, you know, you had to kind of drag it out of them with a chain, just for fear of being ridiculed or told that they were crazy or something. But I've had a few stories here and there that I, I personally didn't really believe at first. But uh, I'll give you a good example. Of that I used to work with a guy that was from New Hampshire, and he told me about this was in the early '80s, and he told me about he was hiking somewhere in a state park there, and. Uh, He'd stepped off the trail to relieve himself, and under some pine trees, he found some wallets and some pocketbooks, and he, they're under the, the pine needles and stuff, and he starts kind of shuffling them around and said there's there's ID in there and credit cards, and it scared him. And he said, you know, I've I decided that this is probably a serial killer's dumping ground. If I scratch around too much, I'm going to dig up a body or something, and he got out of there, took off. Now, he told me this like in – I think around 83, 84, and that was one of those I was thinking, eh, right, that, that sounds kind of hokey, but again, I, I put it in the book. I didn't discount it. Well, then uh, while I was doing research for something else, I found a police report from New Hampshire about the same time where uh, a park employee had done the same thing. They found all these wallets, pocketbooks, just as this person had described it years and years ago. But it turned out it wasn't a serial killer, which was what the Park Service employee thought, too. But it was somebody that was, uh, and I can't remember the name of the hospital, but there was a particular hospital that uh, they were going into the employee dressing room and stealing their pocketbooks and wallets and things like that, taking the cash out of them and then throwing the rest of it in the woods in the national park. So sometimes there is you know, just a fairly normal, benign explanation for things. It wasn't a serial killer or anything like that. But when I first heard that story, I had my doubts. And then years later, got provenance on it, and I was happy at that point that I included it in there. And that was just somebody that I'd worked with. I didn't really know him that well. It's a little harder sometimes, but the way I look at it, I try to keep an open mind. Some of the things that I've seen and personally witnessed myself, it would sound unbelievable coming from somebody, from me telling it to somebody that didn't know me or things like that. So I try to keep an open mind, and uh, I'm a storyteller. I'm a raconteur. I'm not here to vet the stories. I'm not looking for proof or evidence or anything like that. I'm collecting the stories, and what that does in a lot of cases, um, that's one of the most favorite episodes that I have on my YouTube channel is listener stories where I invite people to write in things that have happened to them. I narrate it and put it on there. And so many people will say, you know, I'm so glad you're doing this because this had happened to me. I've kept it to myself. i I get stories where they say, even my family doesn't know this. Or I've never mentioned this to my spouse, but here's my story. What happened to me? So it's kind of opening things up. And giving people a platform where they can come in and not feel judged and not feel like they're going to be told they're crazy or they're uh, making it up or whatever. So, And I'm sure there's some things that, that do get by that have been at least expounded on a little more. You know, people tend to exaggerate sometimes. But then some of the stories, just the way they are, even understated, it's it's frightening as hell. I mean, there's a supernatural element there and turns out a lot of people have had experiences the majority of people have had some sort of paranormal experience and a lot of them will even say well i've never had anything strange happen to me but there was this one time and then they launch into a story like well yeah that's that was a ghost that was this and that was that you know it's unexplainable anyway
1: the other day i was going to the doctor for what they call a A stress test to check the functions of your heart. Don't let me get into the raw details. It's not worth it. Anyway, I was talking with a fellow patient. And she asked what I did for a living. And I mentioned the Paracast. And she said, you know, I saw a UFO. And that always happens. Somebody you run into somewhere saw something strange. And she goes into this. And it's a pretty typical kind of UFO that doesn't seem to be anything normal. Obviously, she had no motive to make it up for this crazy old guy sitting near her who's waiting to have his heart checked out. But this is so typical. There are so many people out there. I know the late Stanton Friedman, who gave lots and lots of UFO lectures. He'd ask people, have you seen a UFO? And lots of people would raise their hand. And the next question, how many of you have reported that sighting and very few people raised their hand? A lot of people out there, as you say, Steve Stockton, have had strange encounters that they really don't talk much about. Do you have many cases of people almost being captured by something and escaping like yourself there where you felt like you might go to sleep and fortunately you caught yourself and you're still here to tell the tale?
2: Not as many of those as there are you know, people that actually disappeared and then were found under strange circumstances. or But there are people that, that felt like they were being chased. Of read a story recently of a lady that was lost in the woods, and she could tell people were following her. She could see them off in the distance like they were hiding and watching her. And she started even finding stuff in trees like that had been left for her. She said that some of the trees, there were donuts in them and things like that. Like, who would do that? I mean, number one, if I'm lost in the woods and I think somebody's following me, I'm not going to be baited with a donut. heard a similar story about a guy from your original neck of the woods, uh, Pine bears in New Jersey that uh, was out in the middle of the whatever's there, nothing, I think, found a pizza. It's still in the box, fresh, just a pepperoni pizza sitting out in the middle of nowhere. And he's like, I thought, you know, was somebody trying to, was there a poison or something, sleeping pills or something there? If I'd taken a slice of that and eaten it, what would have happened to me? But, you know, of course he didn't. So there, there's strange things that go on out there where it almost looks like people are trying to capture somebody or people are laying traps for a person. Another common theme that you hear is people will hear what sounds like a loved one that they know, I mean a family member, calling for them. Maybe a wife, maybe a child, mother, aunt, uncle, calling their name, and it tends to come from some distance away or maybe inside a cave. But uh, I'm sorry, if I'm out in the woods and I hear somebody calling my name from a cave, I'm going the other direction. I'm not going to, unless you're out there with me to begin with, I'm not going to fall for that one.
0: Well, Steve, uh, i got to pick you up on this one because we go back to New Jersey again. In fact, there's a lot of weird stuff in New Jersey. And maybe, uh, Gene, we might even do something about that one of these days.
1: Just to be blunt about it, there are sites in New Jersey with paranormal investigators. And we've had some people on and we're looking to have another particular organization on in the near future with Bob and me. So stay tuned yeah. for that. I think yeah, in every uh, state, but- you can find somebody somewhere who has yeah. done or investigate something strange. Yeah. Okay. We have Steve Stockton joining us. Bob Sonati is our guest co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. Steve, we're going to hold over for after the power cast because we have so many stories to talk about and we're barely scratching the surface. So we've got him roped in, and he's now a prisoner. So he can't leave till he finishes. I'm kidding. More to come with Gene and Bob and Steve. You're in
0: the Paracas.
7: Thank you for listening to GCN.
8: USA Radio News.
11: I'm Brad Bernards. At least three people have been declared dead and multiple injured after an Amtrak train derailed on Saturday afternoon in north-central Montana, an official at a local sheriff's office said. The Empire Builder train, which departed from Chicago for Seattle, derailed around 3.55 p.m. local time near the small town of Joplin, Amtrak spokesman Jason Abrams said in a statement. Top House Democrats said they would charge ahead with a plan to bring up both a $1 trillion infrastructure bill and a broad health care, education, and climate package for a vote this week. Representative Tony Gonzalez, Republican of Texas on Fox News Live, says Americans will be the losers.
12: Progressive Democrats would love to pass the reconciliation package. That would make them, that would make them happy. Everyone would be happy if both passed, other than the American
11: people. This is USA Radio News. This week, a Massachusetts Superior Court judge refused to allow any delay of the state's vaccine mandate that is set to begin October 17th. The decision has already caused a wave of state troopers to file their paperwork to quit the force, and even more are expected to resign before the mandate kicks in. Dozens have already quit, according to the state police union boss, Michael Shervin. The select committee investigating the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol issued its first round of subpoenas Thursday, targeting close aides and allies of former President Donald Trump. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy says he hasn't received one.
17: You know, I haven't received any subpoena, but it just goes to show. Um, they're more. This is more about politics than anything else. There's only two questions that this uh, committee should actually be looked upon. Why was the Capitol left so ill-prepared? And how can we make sure that this never happens again? But that's not what they're focused on.
14: This is USA Radio News. I represent low-cost airlines, and we know a lot of you are not traveling right now, and we understand. However, if you do need to travel between now and the end of the year, now is a great time to lock in some of the lowest prices we've seen in a lifetime. Hey, in normal times, we can save you up to 75%, but now airlines are practically giving away seats. We have inside deals on over 500 airlines. Here are a few sample round-trip deals we found. Seattle to Vegas, $35. Chicago to Atlanta. $85. Los Angeles to Atlanta, $100. Of course, there are some limitations, but the airlines want your business right now. And cancellation and change feeds are flexible. So fly somewhere this year, book now, save a ton, call right now. 802-341-4535.
8: 802-341-4535. 802-341-4535. That's 802-341-4535.
3: Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: See, Bob Zanotti's gang is rope there, but he's in Switzerland and. <laughs> Steve is in the Portland area. I'm in Arizona, roughly speaking, in Maricopa County, which is a hotbed of strange activities. And Mm -hmm. we're going on strange
0: people, too.
1: Well, of course, I resemble that remark.
0: (laughs) I can only get away with that with you, uh, Gene. We've known each other for so many years. (laughs) Needle, needle, dig, dig. All in jest, of course.
1: Yeah, he's not telling the truth there. He's very serious about it. Hate is passed back and forth through the screen. And we've got one of those screens where the hand comes out. Ever see those? You know, in one of these sci-fi movies where the hand comes out of the computer and grabs somebody by the neck.
0: Oh, wasn't that, that Japanese thing, remember? Uh, with the deceased uh, lady who was um, found in the bottom of a well came out what was it called it was the, one of the scariest things i've ever seen
1: of course and we recall godzilla yeah,
2: the american version of we also ring, recall the, Mysterians. the Japanese version was ringu which one was it ring was the american version and ringu was the japanese version which i think was right. far scarier and far scarier
0: the ring the ring that was it i mean that was really a scary movie that was very very scary you know, I, I I want to go back to something you said uh, in the last episode, Steve, about uh, voices coming out of strange places. I want to go back to strange New Jersey again, and exactly that same area, uh, the Watchung Mountains. We were talking about the uh, the Jackson Whites. I remember my father taking me there years ago. We were doing some hiking around Ringwood, West Milford, places like that, very close to the New York state border. And there were some old mines, abandoned mines. And um, there are people who used to go in and investigate them. But the mines there, and I'm not making this up for effect. This is true. We were told, not simply because it was potentially dangerous physically, but there were always spooky stories told about these abandoned iron mines. They may have been copper or iron. I think they were mainly iron mines. And uh, one of the the old railroad lines went by there. The old um, Delaware um, Lackawanna, one of the lines went through there, uh, abandoned. A friend of mine who also used to be on my old show in New York called Coffee Clutch, Bill Paris, he and I went to school together, told a story about a friend of his who used to investigate the mines. That was his hobby. And he went to one of them one time and went, started to go down with a buddy and they heard the sound of what he described as a generator and a glow coming from the bottom of the mine <laughs> and nobody in his right mind would have been in that mine now i'm not saying anything i'm not suggesting anything but it's just one of these spooky stories that proves as shakespeare said in hamlet there are more things in heaven and earth horatio than are dreamed of in your philosophy.
2: (laughs) Indeed. Well, it was Tommyknockers. That's in in folklore, particularly uh, the Welsh and the English that came from the coal miners there. uh, They believed that there were a type of the fae that that were present in the mines there. And they were mischievous, but they were mostly benevolent. And if they were in danger of, say, an explosion or a cave-in, or uh, even a pocket of bad air, they would hear tommy knockers, which they described as these little gnomes that were farther back in the mines or in the rock even, that would start knocking on uh, the rock there and tell them, you know, hey, you better get out of here because something's going to happen. And and in a lot of instances when they heard the tommy knockers, now, of course, they were a very superstitious lot anyway, but when they heard that knocking, they would uh, leave the mine at least for a while until they, they got the all-clear. Like I said, it was mainly in, in Cornish and uh, Welsh folklore, but I've heard of it here in the States, too. Um used to travel up into southeast Kentucky, a lot. there's a lot of abandoned mines up there in old coal mining towns that are now ghost towns. And uh, some of those miners from back in the hills would tell you stories of the Tommyknockers. And uh, same thing, they would hear voices, they would hear baby crying or uh, animals uh, like a dog or something barking way miles underground where there's no dog or anything down there. So... Anytime something like that happened, they considered it a supernatural thing, but also a warning or a harbinger of something bad about to happen, and they would get out at least till you know, the air was checked and the things were firmed up, you know, to make sure it wasn't going to fall in on their heads. But that, that, to me, that would be very frightening. I'm not a big fan of being underground anyway. I've done some caving. I've done some mine exploration, spelunking, whatever you want to call it. But just when you're under there and you start looking up and you're thinking about how immense and how heavy that earth is up above you and that it could fall in on you at any time, that's that's something that scares me that's not supernatural. just the the power of nature.
0: Well, don't forget, uh, and I'm sure you, you don't, that uh, there were so many mining accidents and so many people lost their lives in the mines. And if we want to get uh, spiritualistic about it i mean how many trapped souls or spirits are still down there
2: yeah indeed and then there's caving accidents so uh, there's a really famous case out of uh, mammoth cave in kentucky back in i think it's around the 1920s uh floyd collins a uh, local guy who famously got trapped in the mine and they couldn't get him out in time before he perished he was in there for days and uh it captivated the nation. I mean, it was national news in the days of just newspapers and things, and radio, and uh, there were songs written about it and, and things like that. There's still activity there. Um, there's uh, some sort of, um, I don't know, like a speaker system set up into the mine, uh, where they can talk back and forth from the where the gift shop and the ticket areas all the way down into the mine and intercom system. And they said sometimes when it's closed, and they know there's nobody down there, the cave itself is closed up and locked, something will key the intercom, and they can hear occasionally uh, mumbling or hear somebody breathing down there. Uh, there have also been reports of uh, so, and I don't have any idea how this figures into it, but they've seen a, a pair of legs, uh, apparently uh, dressed in overalls, wearing work boots, come running down the hill uh, toward the, the main area there just oh, I want to ask
1: you something here before we go to our next segment with mm-hmm. regard to the sounds from the cave areas that were closed down. You don't think somebody finds a way to sneak in there, to break in there and cause a little mischief?
2: I, I mean, it's possible. Anything's possible, but... Uh the way that the way i understand they have it locked up now there's like an iron gate like a jail cell door over it and granted somebody could have a way to sneak in there or tie into that intercom system somewhere between there and the gift shop but there was no evidence of it found and you know there's been other cases like that of disembodied voices that would come out of a place not by electronic means just a place that was shut off that nobody could get to that they could still hear uh things back in there another one i'm aware of is uh, cumberland falls in uh kentucky along the cumberland river in that area cumberland state park there's a cave behind the falls and they've got it blocked off people used to be able to go back there but you can't get back there anymore but i know people that have gone and snuck in there after hours that's uh one of the two places in the world where you can see the moon bow is that uh Cumberland Falls, the other one's in South Africa, I think, or maybe Australia. Anyway, uh, I know people that have gone up there to try to witness the Moonbow. The best time to see it is in, I think it's August, around 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, they decided to see if they could sneak behind the falls, which they were able to get back there and get in the cave. And again, this is 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Nobody around. They're the only ones there. The park's officially closed at that point. You have to to come in up the, the river the parking area and all that's closed and gated off
1: let's break and then finish the story okay. on the other side. i just think when you do things like that you sneak into some place early in the morning you're asking for trouble you're that's absolutely what in asking all the ho- for that's what happens in all the horror films steve Jean, and bob you're in
0: the paracast
7: thank you for listening to gcn Visit GCNlive.com
1: today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews and further conversations with paracast guests with paracast plus you can download a very special enhanced version of the paracast also we do offer exclusive music videos and more features are coming to get more info about subscribing please visit the plus once again the plus Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out the Paracast.plus to learn more about
17: Paracast Plus. First, we decide where we want to go. Then we need to know the best way to get there. Hi, my name's Adam Barada. I'm the owner of Advantage Gold. We're the highest rated precious metals firm in the country. We teach people how to own physical gold and silver.
3: Hey y'all jeff foxworthy
18: here now if you've ever found yourself repeating the same thing over and over for 75 years you might be smoky bear only you
11: can prevent wildfires
18: that's why i'm filling in for smoky to switch things up because there's a lot more to say and i should know because my grandfather was a firefighter and one of the things he taught me is that the people that love the outdoors the most are often the ones accidentally starting wildfires, which means always (laughs) BYOB. No, bring your own bucket to the campfire. And be extra careful with things like burning yard trimmings. Don't just walk away, or chances are you might be starting a wildfire. So, for the love of the outdoors, go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council.
0: This
3: is Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: There is Bob Zanotti sneaking into a cave at night. And we bring this intimate little recorder and pick up the voice. Of course, Bob has disappeared. We're now talking to his clone. Is that correct, Bob Zanotti?
0: Well, actually, I have to say the the favorite thing that you do here in the late night or early mornings, usually the very late night in the summer, you sneak into the public swimming pool and do skinny dipping with your friends. This is a family radio show. Well, this is a European boy speaking. We do things differently here.
1: Yes, they do. Steve Stockton, you're telling us this story, but you're asking for trouble to be about at that time yeah, in the morning. To go, to on, go places
2: where you're not supposed to go, that's the best time for something supernatural to happen. Well, these guys have snuck into the park. They've gone behind the falls. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning, and they hear from way back in the back of the cave what sounds like a, a small group of people singing a hymn. They couldn't pick out quite the tune of the words, but they could tell it it sounded like church music. No pun intended, they got the hell out of there. That, to me, would be frightening. Anything, to hear a voice in there, but to hear what sounds like a group of people singing a hymn in a place that nobody's supposed to be at 3 o'clock in the morning.
0: Steve, I've got to tell you this. You just really uh, knocked this into my mind. In the German (laughs) language, the word for hell and cave are the same. Oh, okay. Die Hölle, mm-hmm. the cave, the hell. Hell and cave are the same word in German.
2: Fascinating. And you see a lot of things like that. There's kind of a name game that happens, like we were talking about, you know, places with um, devil names or ghost names or Satan named or whatever, you know, devil's tower, devil's guffs, devil's punch bowl, devil's hot tub. Devil's
1: hot tub?
2: Yeah, that's actually a place. I think it's in the Mojave, uh, a big oh, depression in the rock. And when it fills up with water certain times of the year, then people sit at that. It's not quite a hot spring, but sort of.
0: Gene, you have the Devil's Highway there in Arizona, Route 666.
2: Right, right, a- right. And I guarantee you
1: I've never <laughs> driven, driven, driven
2: on it. 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 Well, they had to change the name because people kept stealing the sign. I had a report sent to me of a guy that encountered some sort of a shapeshifter or a skinwalker or something along that route back in the, was this in the 70s or so. He was going to college in Colorado. His folks lived in Utah, and that was the way he went back home. He encountered this hairy-looking hitchhiker that he decided not to pick up and then encountered the same guy several times, each time farther along and farther away, and he looked a little shaggier each time, and then eventually it became—I don't know—a dog man or something like that. He attributed it to uh, there's a curse on that area. Hey, you know, we um, don't have
1: much time left, and we had one more question left from the forums, Bob.
0: You know, we need more time. We we just got started here. <laughs> you know? I I have a a question that came up from Cy Chris. It's an interesting question for you, Steve. Have any new and different black-eyed kids' accounts come across your desk recently?
2: Um, I have gotten some recently within the last year or so. Uh, they'll be in a compilation of listener stories coming up because that, that's where it came from. It's not any accounts where I've gone out and personally investigated. I, mean, I have my own encounter with the black-eyed kids back in the 90s, and that's the most frightening I've ever been. I mean, I've been chased by things in the woods that I couldn't see. Uh, Another friend and I saw later on what I believe to be a Wendigo, but the scariest thing I ever encountered was two little girls with uh, solid black eyes in a parking lot around 2 o'clock in the morning.
0: Before, we're running out of time, but, um, you know, this is an international program based in the U.S., but, of course, a lot of listeners in other places, also in Canada. And, of course, as I needn't tell you, uh, there are huge, vast wild areas in Canada, I think especially of Western Canada, British Columbia, and so on, and uh, there must be lots of similar reports of missing people from up there, too.
2: Yeah, there, there doesn't seem to be as many. Uh, there there are quite a few in certain places in Canada. Uh, British Columbia and springs to mind, and then some of the maritime provinces, there are a lot of Great Lakes, a lot of missing people there. Now, of course, those can kind of be understandable with the conditions. Same with Alaska. There are all kinds of missing people in Alaska. But, again, that may be attributable to natural, normal factors.
0: That are you separate. don't see so much supernatural in,
2: involved there. Uh, it doesn't appear that way. I mean, again, you never know. When somebody disappears, they disappear. You don't, may never know the reason.
4: Yeah.
2: But, um to me, it's more explainable as weather phenomena or the harsh environment and things like that with Alaska. But there are some strange ones there. I mean, there are people that have just flat disappeared without leaving any trace behind, which that in and of itself is, is the unusual part.
0: Well, that begs the question, what the heck is wrong with the United States? Everybody disappears <laughs> in, in, in the United States. I find that bizarre in itself.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's really and I, I have friends in the UK and they said, well, number one, we don't have like national parks really over here or any place for them to go missing. But you have similarities in certain things like there's uh, whatever it is known as the, the pusher in Manchester where they keep finding these young men. that uh, There's uh, surveillance going into the pub. None of them ever coming out, and then they'll find them in the canal there in Manchester a few days or a few weeks later. If you've ever been in England or been there recently, it is the most surveilled place I've ever seen. There's more CCTV. Oh,
0: they've got got closed-circuit TV. There is uh, practically every square inch of the country is under surveillance.
2: Yeah, but yet they can't catch these people putting people in the canal. Yeah, I thought Las Vegas had a lot of surveillance. I mean, there's the eye in the sky there. It's all over the place, but the U.K. has more By far. But there are similar cases here. Uh, I recently did a video on the theory of the smiley face killers where um, similar circumstances, young men, usually college age, go out for night drinking with friends. At some point they get separated. There's uh, usually video evidence of going in a bar and not coming back out. Or if they do come back out, they go a different direction or they go a different way than they normally would go to get back to where they're staying or their car. They end up disappearing. Sometimes they'll be gone for a few days, up to a few weeks, and then the body will be found in the water. The cause of death is rarely drowning, and a lot of times it's they're unable to determine how they died other than that they were dead when they were put in the water. A lot of those cases, if they bother to test for GHB, which I, I can't remember what that is. It's a, a a chemical drug that was uh came up with for as a, a type of anesthetic, uh butyrol. I can't remember the what the ghb stands for but a lot of times if they bother to test for it and it's not something they normally test for it will be found in their bloodstream and it's almost like a a sex assault type drug you know where you have no memory where you continually black out come to black out come to, but you're powerless to stop what's going on tell our
1: listeners if they want to know more about what you do do you have a website
2: i don't have a website at, at this time i've got one in development it'll be a while Uh, The easiest place to find me is on YouTube. Missing Persons and Mysteries is my YouTube channel over there. We just hit, I think, one hundred twelve thousand subscribers. I'm on Facebook, and uh, my books are available on Amazon and wherever fine books are sold. My publisher likes for me to say that. Got uh, Strange Things in the Woods, which combines that book and the second one, More Strange Things in the Woods. Those are made into one volume. Got uh, My Strange World, which is uh, stories of um, things that have happened to me personally. See, I wrote a book with Cisco murdoch called "We're All Children of the Wilderness of the Afterlife: A Guided Tour Through a Haunted Life." That's mainly her stories, but I provide anecdotal stuff in that. And then this new series I'm working on, "National Park Mysteries and Disappearances," uh, Volume One is all about the Great Smoky Mountains. Volume Two, which just came out last month, it's uh, California, covers mainly Yosemite, Joshua Tree, and Mount Shasta. And then I'm currently at work on Volume Three, which is going to be out mid-December. You can find us on
1: Twitter if you look for The Paracast, find us on Facebook, look for The Paracast. Find our branded merchandise at the paracast.shop. Pick the t-shirts, the throw pillows, lots of really good stuff, the caps, the baseball caps too with a paracast logo. You can also subscribe to The Paracast Plus at theparacast.plus, the Plus, Paracast.plus. We offer the After the Paracast podcast, where Steve's going to stick around and talk about more stuff, a lot more stuff. And we also offer this show free of the network ads. We have a special deal now. If you order a lifetime subscription, use the coupon code UFO20 for a 20% discount to Plus. Steve Stockton, thank you for joining us on the Powercast.
2: Oh, thank you for having me.